one, which can be found on page 1825 in the Pew Bibles. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify for how long God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. We will be looking at the different aspects of Philippians 1. It's moving through the various verses and letting them speak into our heart about God's will for us. Congregation of Jesus Christ, it's such fun to have the children at the front to see their joy. We're thinking this morning about the joy that we celebrate at Easter, the center of our faith, the joy of the resurrection. And when we uh, gathered there, this is now the second Sunday after Easter, we want to just continue to let that uh, truth of Easter joy live into our minds, into our hearts, into our lives as we go forward. That that centrality of Easter is, is not just the end of something and now we're kind of waiting again for Christmas. The reality of, of Christmas, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, his resurrection, fills us with joy. And we go forward in that joy. So to be joyful people, to be a joyful church, those are the kinds of things that we we want to be, to express in ourselves, in our fellowship, what it means to be followers of Jesus, to live out that fruit of the Spirit, that fruit of joy. So this morning, we want to see how we receive and express that joy. And so we turn to the letter of Philippians. Philippians, God speaks to us through this letter this morning about joy. The word joy appears in the letter of Philippians many times. The sense of enjoy, the sense of be glad, the sense of rejoice. As it reflects on the faith of the church in Philippi, it it highlights the reality that a joy is there. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. You might think initially too, as we started the references to joy, that uh, Paul says, I pray with joy and, and my heart is glad and thankfulness. And and as he brings this forward, you might think, 
Wow, he must be in a really good place as he is writing this letter to the Philippians. He and himself must have been having a, a great time when he wrote this, this very joyful letter. That, that maybe he was relaxing somewhere comfortably, maybe he was enjoying just a, a little holiday or a cool drink somewhere, and then he thought he'd write, and he'd say, Hey, wish you were here. Isn't everything great? The actual account here is written when he is in prison. He is, he is writing a tremendous letter of joy, while he is in prison, he's not having fun at all. He's not enjoying anything fancy or fine or even good. So what is all this joy about? He is a Christian following the risen Lord. Is not really in an enjoyable situation at all. Yet, he is speaking about joy. There is nothing in terms of his circumstances that would suggest that he should or would do that. So, at the very start of, of looking at this letter, of recognizing its broader context, we need to realize that in contrast to the lies of this sinful world, Joy has nothing to do with our outer circumstances. It's an inner truth that we hold and that we express and are confident in. That is where joy starts. Another related example, if you think about Paul to the account when he was actually in Philippi. He's writing to the church in Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. He's writing to the believers in the church in that city. What happened in that city when he went there, when he started there, when he planted the church there? Is he thinking of, of all kinds of happy memories, that this was such a, such a great time that he had there? He visited with them. They took care of him. Everything was great. Everything was fine. The account of Paul and Silas in Philippi is recorded in Acts 16, just two verses. They're ministering there. <coughs> As their ministry is received, not well. The magistrates of the city of Philippi ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Jesus on Good Friday was stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. He's in prison in Philippi. So being in prison in Rome, he remembers being in prison in Philippi. It's not joyful. It's not fun. The jailer was commanded to guard uh, them carefully. That's, that's not good. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell. The inner cell is not the best place. It's not the luxury accommodation. It's the worst place. And then it said, he put them in nice warm socks. Oh, no, no, no. He fastened their feet in stocks. So they couldn't move. They're bleeding. They've been flogged. They've been beaten. They've been dragged. They've been thrown. And there they are. And then about midnight, when, when at midnight you feel the worst, 
At midnight, it's dark, it's cold, it's at midnight. They were praying and singing hymns to God. There's a joy that doesn't depend at all, at all, on your circumstances. They were singing hymns to God, songs of joy. And then even the story adds the earthquake. They were saved through an earthquake. That's very traumatic in itself. You're sitting there deep in a, in a dungeon. There's an earthquake and, and you say, oh, the Lord's saving me here? I don't know. And so within all of that uncertainty, all of that difficulty, nothing pleasant about it. Yet like the Apostle Peter says, in 1 Peter 1, verses 8 and 9, that the love of God is in view and that we are filled by our faith with an inexpressible, how can you be joyful? An inexpressible and glorious joy. So that's what we're talking about in Philippians 1 here. A true joy. A real, sincere, inexpressible, glorious joy. Would you like that joy? I'm sure you would. So where do we start? Where do we find that joy? Who do we listen to? If you believe in all the advertising about wealth and money, you might listen to this gentleman, Kevin O'Leary. He is one of the dragons. From Dragon's Den, hey? He advertises for the show. It struck me the other day. He puts uh, an ad and he asks. There he is. And he says too, What is the purpose of life? And his answer, To make money. Yeah. To make money. He puts it out there. That's the purpose of your life. With the, the thought behind it that, oh, then you will be able to buy what you want and you will be able to enjoy the things of this life. Your joy can be bought with outer circumstances. He does not seem like a very joyful person. He is very wealthy, but a little scary and a little sad. I suggest to you a sad slave to money. There's no real joy there. You never have enough money. You never have enough things. And I also find Dragon's Den itself does not seem like such a joyful place when you watch the show. People don't come in with a lot of joy. They don't leave often with a lot of joy. And even the title is very suggestive of who is behind this goal in life. You are serving the dragon, the devil. And there's no joy there. No joy at all. So we don't want to be listening and following this voice, this advice. We want to be following God's gracious word to us as we see it here in Philippians 1. And the place we need to start is our relationship with God and our listening to his word. That's 
where joy begins. This is the most important thing. It's the center of our life and of true joy. And we see what it says at the beginning of Philippians here that that is where the the word is centered as the letter begins. Paul and Timothy see themselves as servants of God. Servants of the living Lord Jesus. That's, that's where their center, their strength, their hope lies. And they see the grace and peace of God as first importance in their life. That's why the letter starts with that. That's why it reminds the church in Philippi about that. And even Paul himself reminding himself, this is where my hope and strength lies. If you think about the life of Paul, Paul who, who persecuted the church, Paul who denied God, who denied the Lord, who sought to enslave Christians and was cheering when Stephen, the first deacon, was stoned to death. That man received grace and lives in peace. So he knows when he says grace and peace, that's what we have. The grace of God forgiving our sins, the peace of God knowing that we have hope, we have life, we have the assurance that God watches over us, loves us as forgiven sinners. The truth of Easter. There's nothing better. There is nothing greater. This love that doesn't depend on our own merit, it doesn't depend on what we do, it's all God's grace. And this truth fills us with Easter joy. So that's the source. That's the headwaters. Out of that confession at the beginning of the chapter flows a river of joy flowing out to us. True joy in Jesus as Savior. There's nothing better. There's nothing more lasting. And so Easter morning here too, as we were celebrating the truth of Easter, we read from Romans 8. And Aaron shared with us those words, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Circumstances fade. Jesus rises to the center and our joy is in him. We see it here in Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2. This chapter moves to the church in Philippi. God brought that church together. People like Lydia, Lydia, the seller of purple, she heard the message, she believed, she rejoiced and became the leader of the church there in Philippi. The jailer, that jailer who had brutally put Paul and Silas in prison, he became a believer. His whole family was baptized. He's part of that church. Lydia and the jailer, very, very different people, but coming together in the faith, in the service of Jesus. They are part of that church, and others join that church, and together they supported joyfully Paul in his work, in his mission. We get the sense from the letter that the church in Philippi was a very joyful community. There is a, a resonance in, in Paul's writing. As he writes to them, he is reflecting again to how they are helping him. They have helped him financially. They have 
prayed for him. He has been in, in contact with them. They seem to have, have had that truth of their faith uh, lived out. And so they were a very joyful community. And, and there are some clear things in terms of how he addresses them in the next few verses in terms of how they lived out that joy of the Lord. The first thing that is very striking, Philippians 1 verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. So every time I think of you, I give thanks. I'm grateful that you are part of the church with me. That sense of being grateful. Studies have shown that the more grateful people are, the more joy they feel. If they look around at the things in their life, the people in their life, and they they are more grateful, then they are also more joyful. So to be grateful, to give thanks to God for the people in your life, for the people in this church, that's one area where joy begins. The contrast is how we more often think of and see each other. Too often... We think of the people in our lives, and the first thought is not, I'm so grateful. The first thought often is, well, they messed up here. What's up with them? The first thought is a critical thought. The first thought is, I have a problem with them. The first thought is, I don't really like them. And that thought can take over. No gratitude. Philippians 1 verse 3 says, When I think of you, the first thing I think of is how grateful I am that you are part of my life, part of my circle of friends, church friends. That's a powerful starting point. If, If in your family, in the church we would have that central gratefulness for each other. You see how that can work itself out in people's lives. If you have this morning, Kyle playing the piano, and and on the one hand, you think back on that, and you think, well, he messed up. He didn't mess up. But maybe you heard something you didn't like. Maybe in the songs he played so far, you say, hey, there was something I didn't like. That Kyle, what's he doing here? And everything is no good. If you are thinking about our church secretary, Cindy and Dana, they do an awful lot of work in the background. They are running all the time, all kinds of details they're taking care of, and then they forget something. They forget something that you wanted them to do. Lousy secretaries? Can't they do anything right? I just asked them to do this little something, and they messed it up. What a lousy church. Our attitude, very quickly, first thing we think of, they messed up. Or with the newsletter, why this or that? Why do we have it? 
no good. Instead of being grateful for those who are doing the work, helping out, and in all kinds of areas in the church, the children's message. Oh, and shouldn't have given them balloons. Balloons are dangerous. What a waste. No more children's messages. Our attitude can, can just get switched off, right? We can just let that, that negative come in. And that's a sad truth that we have to guard against. Also in church, that, that when we know people for a longer period of time, we start to take them for granted. And then when, when they do come into focus... Like you don't think about the church secretaries for, for weeks and weeks and weeks and then suddenly something and then it's not good and then everything is not good. And that sense of gratitude quickly disappears. So to have that as a, as a fellowship, as people together, every time I think of you, I give thanks. And especially in the deeper sense, not specifically what you do or how you do it, but the fact that God in Jesus has brought you together with others and calls you to serve with them, to serve him and to serve him well. So in that key sense, to let people know that you are genuinely happy to see them, to be with them, that's huge. And that's what he's getting at here. I thank my God every time I remember you. Brings joy to them and to you. Because God is good. And it's amazing. Everybody doing amazing things also in this church. He adds a second thing in Philippians 1 verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Do you pray with joy for the people in your life? To pray with joy. Doesn't it encourage you when someone is praying for you? People say to me at times, Pastor Mike, I'm praying for you. And it's, it's very encouraging. I pray with others and they are encouraged. We pray together for people and they are encouraged. To pray for someone is to bring the reality of God's care in their lives and to see them as as God's servants, God's people, God's children. And that brings the joy of the Lord. Prayer builds relationships as it brings God into the picture. If you pray for somebody, it's harder to be complaining, grumbling, and gossiping about them. Your, your relationship will change as God enters in. And it will add joy. What, what do you pray for? Philippians 1 is, is a beautiful example. Verses 9 to 11. A fine prayer right here. Pray that the person will grow in love. Pray that they will make wise choices. Pray that they will live with integrity, discern what is best, and pray that they will become like Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's an excellent prayer. You can pray those four things for me anytime. 
to pray that I would grow in love, to pray that I would make wise choices, to pray that I would live with integrity, to pray that I would become more like Jesus. You can pray these things for yourself. That's a good prayer. And you can pray that for others, for fellow church members, to know as you pray that this prayer will be answered because it's God's will and he wants to answer that prayer. And it's a joy to pray this prayer. It in turn brings the joy of Jesus into our relationships, a central truth that God wants you and me to serve him, to serve him well together in love. A third thing he adds is Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It's the sense of expectation that you expect the best of those around you. We do not normally expect the best of people. We more quickly expect the worst. We expect them to let us down. We expect them to mess up. And then we worry and we wonder. But in grace, in Christ Jesus, we can always be confident, expecting the best of people, trusting people, building them up in their successes and forgiving their failures because we know that God has begun a good work in them and that he is working to bring that to completion. It's so easy to tear down. That comes back to me often, talking to people and, and working in situations and, and, and very, very natural, very instinctive, very sinful. We just tear into each other. We tear each other apart. It's easy to do. Not a problem. Lots to criticize about each other, about me, about the church. Hey, let's have at it. That's easy. But to build up, to say God has begun a good work in you. God has begun a good work here. Now, how can we build that up? Carefully, prayerfully, lovingly, encouraging one another. That's what it means to be church, to help and encourage and heal, prayerfully building people up. God, who has started a good work in us, is going to continue to work. And we trust in him, first of all, and we need to be patient with each other. Imagine seminary student Charles Van Hoffen arrives here. He's coming in about a month with his wife, Heather. And as soon as you see him, you say, ah, doesn't look like much. <laughs> I don't know. And he gets up here, right? And he says something that, what? And later on you let him know, what are you doing? And Sunday after Sunday, you can just, yeah, pick him apart. Easy. What are you going to do, right? How are you going to proceed? That he has seen the call of God, that he is coming, that he is 
being encouraged at this point. He is trained, he is gifted, he is able, he's not perfect. But that we would encourage him, that you patiently work with him, and that together you celebrate how far God has brought him, and that he goes forward in ministry. That's, that's the call of God. That's the joy of the Lord. We all need that. We all need to be encouraged and helped. And that reality, being confident of this, God is at work and he is continuing to do so. Also, we know that generally in terms of our children, young children especially, if they're having fun and sometimes they draw a picture and they draw a picture like this or something along these lines and you look at it and you have just the vaguest notion that this is a cat. And you say, wow, that's beautiful. That's exactly our purple cat. Unbelievable. And you encourage them. Or do you say, what a dumb picture. Get rid of that stupid thing. You're never drawn again. This is awful. We encourage them because we love them. And we build them knowing that God is working in them and that they are growing in different areas. So that sense of lovingly caring for one another brings joy into the lives of those we build into and into our lives. Philippians 1 verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way since I have you in my heart. The sense of of the joy coming when we love people in our life like Jesus loves us. That we are in his heart. That he prays for us. That he encourages us by his word and spirit. That we would also be that praying, encouraging body of believers that live in the joy that our Lord leads and guides, cares for and directs, expecting the best of people. One specific area of application that we want to build on this morning is the area of prayer mentioned here. I'm grateful for the work of all the office bearers, elders and deacons. We're going to be uh, praying for them in the congregational prayer, and we're going to have our affirmation vote at the end of the service here. But just in in working with them, and especially one of the pastoral elders, uh, Brad Lewin, he uh, approached me uh, a couple weeks ago and and just asked, too, if, if, if he could lead a little bit in in just bringing that sense of prayer for one another. And so we sat and we talked about it, and, and it fits so nicely here with these words from Philippians that, that we would pray for each other. As he was visiting the people, too, in his district and doing the work of ministry as a pastoral elder, he had the sense, too, that, that just to be more in prayer for one another would be just a wonderful thing. So he suggests that we would... Uh, or he would like to invite those who would like to join in that to come together at a, at a time that works, and a time that works, we talked about it, thought about it, reflected on it prayerfully, would be Sunday morning, actually, before the service. So next Sunday, uh, he will lead in, in a pre-service prayer time. 
And the thought is not that, not that it would be uh, uh, burdensome or difficult, but thinking about 10 o'clock, if it starts about 10, our service is at 10.30, so if people could, would, wanted to come just a little earlier, and that we would meet downstairs, thinking room seven, very biblical number, room seven is just at the back here, down the hall, and that, that people would come and that just sit together and right around 10 o'clock, start who was there, just pray for some of the things in the church. Just, just share about people and things and, and what we would want to uh, just encourage in prayer. And, and if you're a little late and people are praying already, you can just slip in and sit down and, and listen in and join them. Just a, a very peaceful prayer time. And that that would just be part of being a joyful church, praying for one another, and that those four things as well, that people would grow in love, we as a church, that we would make wise choices, that people would live with integrity, live out their faith, and that we would become like Jesus. So that's one very specific area that, that we'll be starting next Sunday, just to joyfully be open to God's leading by the Spirit as we pray for one another, that we seek to live into the truth of God's Word, and that as we find it here in Philippians 1, what a blessed assurance that God will be our joy. Amen.